0: influence God will build his kingdom that we as Christian believers are under a theocracy that God is the king he is to rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives and if he does his influence will eventually reign supreme and then in verse 3 they came to a revelation that it wasn't about a particular place saying that we would come to the house of Jacob yet it was talking about the idea that they would fellowship lean on God that they would hear the voice of the Spirit as he would lead them down certain paths, teach them the way they should walk, and in teaching them where they should walk, in gleaning from him, they came to a revelation, a revelation that's very true even today, that it only takes about three to 5% of leadership appropriating appropriating their, their particular stance or their doctrine, their particular ideology in any given area of culture to influence the entire culture that underlay it. So if you want to affect the news, man, you're, you're sick of all the fake news. That's a catchphrase anymore, right? If you're sick of all the fake news, all you have to do is be part of that three that to five percent of leadership that drives the news media and you can change you can change the culture. If you want to encourage cultural change in the music that our kids are listening to you only have to be part of that three to five percent That influence culture. In fact, only about 3 to 5% of us ever really consume a body of work from any given artist on any given topic. And if you only consume about 3 to 5% of that topic or that artist's body of work, you become an expert. Anyone here know 3 to 5% of all the works of Mozart? Most of us don't. But if you were to list out about 5% of his works, most of us would turn to you and think, you're an expert on Mozart, yet you, the majority of the body of work that he wrote, you wouldn't even have the comprehension on. What they understood was it doesn't take this Herculean effort to change culture. It takes a very pinpointed effort that we go after certain goals and certain mediums. And this led them to study out Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Again, independently, these men came to this recognition, this realization that in Genesis chapter one, in verse 28, when he says to be fruitful and multiply, to replenish the earth, to subdue it, that God gave dominion to man over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over everything that creeps or moves on the earth, that what he was saying specifically was that we should take our rightful place as those who have influence over the world that God has given us. Listen, we were, not, we were not crafted for the world. The world was crafted for us. The whole body, the whole landscape, this, this big planet, this people planet was made for us. And these two men realized that there were seven spheres of influence or seven mountains that if culture is to be changed, if the tidal, uh, tidal wave of culture is to be changed, that we have to be influential in these seven areas. Over the next few weeks, we'll discuss the seven areas and what they mean, but they're, they're pretty plain and they're pretty poignant when you read them. They're pretty obvious when we start studying them. These seven mountains are very simple. Education, religion, family, business, military and government, entertainment, the arts, and media. And media. If we would have, as a Christian culture, three to five percent influencing these arenas, we could change culture. Now, there used to be a time when if, if you were an artist and you had a particular song that you wanted good heavy radio play, you had to go to the disc jockeys and hope they would play your song. and You might even have to go and seek out some record executive and hope that he would play your song. But now with YouTube and the advent of the Internet, there is no gatekeeper. If you want your voice to be heard, all you have to do is use the many platforms and most of them are free to speak the words, the story that God's put in your heart. In fact, I believe, I believe that Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham were thinking of a day like today. They were thinking of people positioning themselves as we can today with the, the many opportunities that we have in front of us. In fact, there was a moment in time where if you wanted to gain any recognition on a media front, you had to go to the media moguls and you had to go to the executives and you had to hope and pray that they would take time to hear your story. You had to hope and pray that they would take time to listen to the proposition you put in front of them. But now at your fingertips with the tools in your pocket, literally the phone that you use every day, you can broadcast to the entire world. You can grow an audience. I think they were talking about the fact that there was coming a moment in time where if the church wasn't sleeping, she would find that the opportunities, the open doors to influence these seven areas were right in front of us. That if you want to influence the arena of education, you have a voice, you have something to say, you can influence education. If you want to influence religion, which is a bit of what we do here, Sunday mornings, it's a bit of what I do, what I'm charged to do. If we want to influence religion, that we have the right and the tools to do so. That if we want to influence family and how the world sees family and God's perspective on family, that we can do that. If business is your calling, if government or military, if arts and entertainment, or if the media is where God has placed you, you have the tools. I think these two men were thinking of a day today where there's no more excuses. There's no more excuses for us not to speak to the story that God's put in our heart. There's no more excuses for us not to share what God's put in our heart. If you're not one who wants to stand in front of a camera, you can write a blog. If you're not one who wants to write a blog, you can create beautiful moving graphics or stories or pictures, but in your pocket is literally the tools to crack this thing open and to influence culture. But there are three great lies that impede most of us. And I know I'm getting heavy and fast, and that's so we can set a foundation for the next couple of weeks. But there are three very specific lies that leave most of us paralyzed when it comes to affecting cultural change. The first one is that we are powerless to overcome our circumstances. Listen, I'm just nobody in the fields of Iowa, in the fields of nowhere. Who's going to listen to my story? Yet there are countless individuals through social media, throughout the internet, who have, they have someone listening. They have someone who wants to hear their particular take or viewpoint on what they're talking about, on the topic that God's laid on their heart. You are not powerless to overcome your circumstances. You are not too dumb to jump into what God has called you to. Listen, you are not someone who is too broken, who has a shattered past, and you have, You have nothing to speak to. Your story matters. In fact, we we read in Revelation that we overcome as a church body. We overcome as a people of God by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is a simple way to say your story makes the difference. That if you will start to share your story combining with the overcoming blood of Jesus, what we celebrated today in communion, that that blood washes you white as snow, that it clears up your past history, your past issues. It makes you suitable to stand and shout the message of this gospel, that you are not left powerless to your circumstances, but you have a great story to tell that might even come from your circumstances, but is a great story to tell that is literally the overcoming power that the church needs to press forward. The second lie there is that you are a victim of an unjust God. That somehow, in some way, that God, not being fair, left you to yourself and your devices or left you in a hole or left you to circumstances. And because of that, you are just a victim to an unjust God. And if he were, if he were to be truthful and honest and just, that he would dig you out of the hole that you find yourself in. The fact is he has given you so many tools. There's an old story about this where a man finds himself in a ship, seagoing vessel, and it capsizes. And he's floating in the ocean on a piece of driftwood. And he's praying and hoping to God that someone will come and rescue him. And a boat comes by. This boat comes by and it it looks like it could hold him. It looks like it could be his rescuing instrument. Yet he doesn't understand the culture, the language of the people who are in the boat and they drive off because he can't, he can't understand what they're saying, so he doesn't communicate with them, and because he doesn't communicate with them properly, what he's saying to them doesn't make sense, and they drive away. And later on, another ship comes by, and it's a big ship, and it's something that he, he doesn't really recognize, the markers on the side of the boat, he doesn't understand the colors of the flag that are on the side of the boat, and he's scared, and he hides in the water. The ship goes past as it sees the wreckage. Another boat comes, and he understands the language and he understands the flag and he, he knows the country from where it comes. He knows the culture. He can speak the language, but they're his enemies and he's waiting for his friends. So again, he hides in the water and he prays to God, God, why didn't you save me? He said, listen. I've given you three opportunities. I gave you a culture that you didn't understand, but you couldn't even ask for help because you were too, you were too uh, caught in the thought that they don't understand me and I don't understand them. And next, you had a culture, uh, you had a flag that you didn't recognize, colors that you didn't understand, and so you hid in the water. And third, someone came to rescue you who was obviously a culture and a place you didn't, you didn't want to be involved in, so you drowned because you wouldn't reach out to, to, to situations, to circumstances, to help that might not look the part. And I think for many of us, this is where we sink in affecting a cultural change. We don't understand the way it looks. We don't understand YouTube. They talk a different language than we talk. So we pass up the opportunity. We don't understand Facebook. We don't understand how the kids talk on the internets. So we leave it alone. We don't understand Instagram and why these kids take selfies with their hands 14 feet up in the air and pointing straight down at their nose. We don't get it. So we don't engage ourselves. The problem is when a generation and a generation and a generation pass and they fail to use the instruments that God's laid out in front of them, the problem is the church is stuck. And we say, God, where's our rescuing instrument? You have to be more just. You have to create a platform in where our voices can be heard. And God, you need to be more just and create opportunities for the church to excel. And God's saying it's all out in front of you. You might not understand it. It might be colors that you don't see or that you're not comfortable with. It might be a culture that's totally foreign to you or maybe a culture that you don't even like. But if you would engage, if you would engage, you could change culture. The next lie there is that that he left us to suffer. He left us to suffer the wiles of a, new, of a new electronic age. I can't suffer these YouTube kids, these Facebook kids. I don't even know what Snapchat is. God, why would I download the app? And by the way, there's nothing on there that I ever want to look at. And you know, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to the fact that some of the internet is still the Wild West. It's just coming into maturity. Some of the tools that we use to reach a generation are just coming into maturity, so there are things out there that aren't good. There are things out there that you and I might not want to see, but that doesn't mean we're left to suffer alone. That doesn't mean we're left to suffer as we don't understand or can't connect with culture. That simply means that we have to learn how to engage at a different level. And I'm using the idea of the Internet and the cultural change there for a reason. We can apply this to many different areas of our life, many different areas of cultural change. But the fact is we have to start to learn to speak a new language. We have to start to engage at different levels if we're going to affect these seven areas of influence. If we're gonna learn to affect an area of education, it doesn't mean that you have to be on the educational board. It doesn't mean that you have to be a teacher if God's gifted you in that area. Now, if he has, and that's where you're working, great. But there are so many opportunities for you to influence that arena of life That you don't have to ask the people at the front door anymore for permission to come in. There is no more gatekeeper, but God will place us where He wants us. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19 says it this, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on, er, on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Man, we have so distorted this scripture. We have used it as a way to to, to pseudo-pray for people. We have used it as a way to counsel people inappropriately. We have used this scripture in so many different ways that don't apply to its honest-to-goodness understanding. God has given us keys to the kingdom. He's given us an opportunity that we have in our hands the right to affect real life change that if we would learn to use the keys appropriately, that there are things on this earth that God says we can put up, put away with, and deal with. And there are other things that I want to loose from heaven. I want to bring heaven to earth. And if we would learn how to use the keys that we have, we could open up doors that no man can shut. But for many of us, we're paralyzed to jump into cultural change because we don't want to engage with culture. What, they say? what will they say about me? What if it doesn't come across the way I intend it to? What if I what if I as a teacher go to that school board meeting and they don't hear my voice? What if I, as a business owner, try to encourage and inspire someone to act differently in their business dealings and, and they shut me off or I lose the account or I or I don't get the job or the promotion that I've been that I've been seeking after? Listen, there are many, many, many what ifs, but if we're going to affect Culture, if we're actually going to have an impact as a church in our community, in our region, then we have to understand, we have to make placement to find ourselves and where God's put us and where we fit in these different spheres of influence. Now, today's just an overview. We're not going to get real detailed on what this means, but I want to encourage you, I want to inspire you to find out what God's called you to. I don't care what your day to day job is, that might be where God's called you, maybe it's not. Kurt was up here helping us with, with worship, and he and his wife, Diane, I've known for, oh my gosh, since I was a little snot-nosed brat, and they can testify I was a brat at times. And uh, Diane was my youth pastor. Obviously, Kurt was always around and doing worship and music with the the, the kids and, the, and, and all that stuff. And um, man, some of the stupid things. I, I hope my kids never find out some of the dumb things I did. I, I filled up a water uh, gun with bleach one time and thought it would be funny to hose a couple people down. And it wasn't, yeah, you're like, oh, I thought it was hilarious. I got a talking to, and then I had to pay for everything. Uh, it wasn't funny. And I hope my kids never find that out. And as a pastor, it really wasn't funny. Uh, but anyway, uh, but Kurt's job doesn't necessarily have him in the place where he's most influential. In fact, from from dealing with Kurt over the, over the many years, he's a good job. And, and I think he likes what he does. I don't know. I haven't Get, gotten that specific, uh, but I know that his passion is music, and there are so many people who have come through their life that he has trained, that he has taught, that he's encouraged on how to worship God. It's more than just music. It's it's more than just arts and entertainment for him. It's, it's using the hook of the guitar. It's using the hook of the music, and I remember the years that he played in an Irish band. It's like, where did this come from? It was an opportunity for him to influence culture by using the vehicle that is his passion. And I'm picking on him today because it works really well for my sermon. (laughs) But most of us have a passion in life. Sometimes it's your career. Sometimes it isn't. And if you allow God to, he he will give you the opportunity. In fact, the Bible says your gift makes way for you. It gives you opportunities. If you will allow God to use the gift that he's put in your heart, you will affect one of these mountains. You will affect one of these spheres of influence, but quit thinking you have to ask someone their permission. There are so many open doors and the internet age breaks those doors wide open. And we have opportunities every single day of the world to affect culture, to affect change. We have have the opportunity to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 to actually bring to heaven or from heaven, to earth the plan and purpose of God. We actually have the opportunity in our spheres of influence to lock up cultural issues, to box them up, to cast them off, and to bring to light what God would speak to that cultural issue, if we'll allow ourselves, if we'll allow ourselves to to live in the missionary mandate that Jesus gave his disciples. Jesus gave his disciples a simple missionary mandate. All of us are missionaries. Whether you know it or not, you're a missionary. Whether you want to accept it or not, you are a missionary. Jesus gave this mandate to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. That means every single person, tribe, tongue, color, ethnicity, what side of the tracks they live on, uh, uh, economic, uh, uh, where they're at on the economic strata. That we are called to make disciples of all nations people. And that mandate, that mandate is what will effectively transform culture. Let me say it like this. Transformed people transform culture. Now, what you don't know about Kurt Stewart, I'm gonna pick on him a little bit more, is he's always been into music. And it wasn't always for Jesus. But at some point, God apprehended his heart. And when he apprehended his heart, the transformation that was made, Kurt as an individual transformed and then used that through these many, many, many years. Man, he's been doing worship and teaching and training worship longer than I've been alive. That transformed culture, there's a wave of transformed culture that's behind him. We have that same opportunity to look at what where God has gifted us, to look at where God has placed the mandate on our heart, the passion of our heart, and not to just keep it to ourselves, not just use it as an instrument to get noticed, but use it as an instrument for cultural change here in the Quad Cities and in our region. Transformed people transform culture. But we've come to a place where we've decided to give up the transforming nature of the gospel for a covenant of tolerance. This covenant of tolerance is very simple. It says, I won't, I won't tell you what to do as long as you don't tell me what to do. And man, we've come to a place in culture where this is, this is where most of us want to live. This is not just the church, but I'm talking to everybody wants to live. Don't tell me how to live my life. And I won't tell you how to live your life. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. Right? We hear it all the time. You do you, bro. You do you. The problem is that's not the gospel. The gospel says that we have an opportunity as changed people, as transformed people, to bring a sense of transformation to the culture that we are living in. We have an opportunity to take what God has done in our lives and affect culture and where he's called us to. So At some point, we have to kick off this covenant of Tolerance. This, this covenant of tolerance, this, this idea that, that we don't have to be a spark or that we're not the agent of change for the culture around us. If God placed you somewhere, he placed you there so that you could change the culture. And many times he uses the story of your life to change the culture that you used to be a part of. Man, if you're a big gaming nerd and geek and Dungeons and Dragons and comic books and this, I don't know, what, the, but whatever, but if you're, if you're marketed as one of those, those types of guys, you know, in the, as, as people would say in their mom's basement playing the card games or whatever, man, God will use you in that culture to see cultural change. If, if you're what the, the culture signifies as, as a successful business person, one deal after another, making money hand over fist, God will use you in that arena to affect cultural change. If you're a mom and you're really good at being a mom, And it's your life's passion to mother your children. God will use that instinct for cultural change. I don't care what God's put in your heart, what burden, what passion he's laid in your heart. He will use that for a cultural change, if we'll allow him. And if we won't buy into this idea that we have a covenant of tolerance that says, listen, uh, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're involved in, you just don't tell me how to live. I won't tell you how to live and we'll live peaceably. No, at some point, we create such a wave of change because because we've been affected by the gospel. At some point, there's something working in us that says, man, I know the depression that you're living through or I know the issues that you're living with or I know the pain that you're facing and I know the answer and I know you're looking for it in other means. I know you're looking for it in other arenas but I know the answer and his name is Jesus. We must engage culture to influence culture. We have to learn, again, as a church, to be engaging in culture. How many of you are familiar with, um, oh, what's the song, now that, I, now that I want to say it, I forgot it, um, oh, the hymn, uh, everyone knows. Good Lord, um, and I should have written it down. Uh, Amazing Grace, yes, and some of you know where I'm going. Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace was written, those words were changed from an old bar tune. This was a song people sung in the bars. If, you can, if that song's running through your head and like it wasn't running through mine, but if it's running through your head and you can hear the melody, that melody comes from an old bar song. That's cultural change. That's that's a man with a mission. That's a sense of cultural appropriation. We're taking culture and using it to our advantage and changing it so that we can introduce the gospel. And some folks, man, today, if we took a bar song some song playing on the jukebox and played it in church, some of you'd run for the door. I can't believe them heathen. Man, if next Sunday we opened up with uh, Highway to Hell, I think some of you'd be like, what is wrong with the pastor? <laughs> we, we, you hear Welcome to the Jungle and that guitar riff coming, some of you'd be thinking, where am I at? But the problem is what we've done as a church at times is cut ourselves off from influences of culture and not allowed ourselves to, tip, to even put our toe in there for fear that it's going to taint us. Not understanding that there's a God that lives on the inside of you that's bigger than anything this world can throw at you. You don't have to worry. We shouldn't, as Christians, we shouldn't worry about the culture affecting us. They should be worried about us affecting their culture. Yet too many of us hide behind the idea, oh, we don't want our families tainted. We don't want this, and what about that? let Let me help you out. Jesus is big enough to cover your family. Jesus is big enough to cover your heart. Jesus is big enough to cover your intentions. Jesus is big enough to cover you when you go out into enemy territory. Jesus is big enough to cover you in areas that might not seem comfortable. In fact, he wants to, because he wants to see life change happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse nine, it says that because of the great, this great effort that we have that, Great Herculean effort we have at changing culture. That there are a bunch of people who want to oppose. There are gonna be people in the church and outside of the church. There, you can read it for yourself. I don't, I don't have time to get through all the details, but there are gonna be people who want to oppose the work of God in your life. There are going to be people that want to oppose the work of God as you go to affect and change culture and set into motion cultural effects and cultural changes. Why? There's a whole plethora of reasons. Some are jealous. Some are plants of the enemy. Some are just stupid. But there's a reason, and I don't care what the purpose is. I don't care what the motivation is behind it. I know that I have a course that's charted and that God wants me to affect that course, that God is intent on my influence changing a pyramid of culture, a sphere of culture, a, 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 a mountain of culture. You know that the Harvard motto, and Harvard, if you don't know, was started as a seminary. The Harvard motto, well, the, the latest one that was adopted adopted in Latin, is Veritas Christo et Ecclesia. What does that mean? Truth for Christ and the Church. Harvard isn't exactly known as a beacon of church or a beacon of truth for church. Harvard isn't exactly known as a beacon of truth for God or for Christ. Yet their motto on their insignia in Latin, truth for Christ and the church. Their mission statement, truth for Christ and the church. And they've, they've whittled it down on most of their documents to just say truth in Latin, veritas. Cultural influence happened where men who went to this prestigious university to study the scriptures to know the word of God inside and out, to get all of the tools necessary to be preachers of the gospel. At some point in time, it was whittled down to truth, and now it's, they're trying to even change it to not the truth, but a truth. That a truth would be their motto. That their students would walk away with their particular truth. That truth would be relative, and truth would change, and truth would be subject to the hearer truth wouldn't be solidly standing on the, foot, on the foothills of Christ and the church, that it would be fluid to some sense. This motto is why Harvard, in my opinion, the standard that they held has degraded over time. They couldn't keep to the motto. They couldn't keep to the song of their heart of when they were first carved as an institution of learning. And how many of us have had a motto over time when we first got saved? I'm gonna go for Jesus. I'm gonna give it all. I'm all in. We had this this inward knowing of this motto of our heart and over time, it's just changed. Maybe it was I'm all in to I'm in. Maybe the motto at first was Jesus have everything and now it's just Jesus. Maybe the motto of your heart at one point focused on your intent to see life change and you said, God, I will give you my all and now it's just, God, I'll I'll try to give. In our own lives at times, just like we see the Harvard motto decline, we can see our own lives motto decline because we don't feel effective in our sphere of influence. We don't feel effective in the cultural change that God is pushing us to. We don't feel that we're seeing the fruit that we need to see. And I'll get there in just a moment. But cultural change, the reason for most of us, the the degrading of the motto, the cultural change should be a fruit and not the goal. And most of us, when we get saved as young pub Christians, the first thing we want to do is go see the whole world turn topsy-turvy and upside down. Man, we're going to be the next Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was Billy Graham not because he wanted to be Billy Graham. He was Billy Graham out of the fruit of his heart, out of the passion of his soul, because he stayed true to himself. The goal wasn't to be on television or to be in all the papers or to even have these massive crusades. He just preached a simple message of the gospel and it was blessed many times over. I think for many of us, if we would come back to that simple message that we would be true to the core of who God's called us to be, that we'd be true to the message of the gospel and give the results up to him and not be looking for the fruit always and not always be looking for the manifestation but that the cultural change that we're seeking after, that we would know we're on the right path because we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If that were our motivation, I think many of us could hold true to our, our once forgotten motto. Lauren Cunningham says it this way. He says, when you use your authority, you lose influence. When you use your influence, you gain authority. The church... many times has said, our mission, our mandate is a cultural influence, so we're going to create a list of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts, and if you don't adhere to this, you're not seeing the cultural change that we intend you to see. If you're not adhering to this parameters, to this prescription, then you are outside the box, and you couldn't possibly be effective, and the church has started to cut people off. What they've done is they've used their authority and they've degraded their influence and the church needs to get back to a place where we use our influence so our authority starts to come up. Listen, that doesn't mean that we should get on social media and shout every argument. You're not gonna win every argument, that's okay. There are some arguments, man. Oh, I see on social media at times that boy, do I wanna throw my two cents in. I I mean, whether you know it or not, and I'm sure my wife has told you, and if not, she will, I like to argue. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with confrontation. In fact, I kinda like it at times. It's, listen, it's so bad. We went on this trip. Uh, We went on a a vacation trip recently, and, and I was just looking forward to vacation, but not for the same reason my wife and my kids were. Because as part of our vacation package, I had to sit down in front of one of those timeshare people, you know, where they try to sell you something. I was looking forward. You're like, oh my God, I don't want anything. I was so looking forward to it. I had a check that I brought just so I could write numbers on a check and not intend to ever cash it. I just wanted to see how far I could push this person anyway. So, yeah, my wife told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore Um, because I did it one too many times. But I love that stuff, man. I think it's so much fun, that back and forth with the salesperson. I think it's exciting. But at times, that's how the church uses the authority that it has. It goes into culture, and, and rather, than, rather than gaining influence, rather than hearing the stories of people, rather than developing a relationship, rather than sitting knee-to-knee and eyeball-to-eyeball and actually connecting with a person, we use our authority. I'm from the church of Jesus Christ. I'm from this church or that church, or I'm saved and you're a lowly sinner. That's so why I have a problem with like the boycotts when, when, when a business comes out and the ownership is maybe homosexual and there's like a boycott, well, we shouldn't support them because, you know, they support the homosexual lifestyle. Well, what do you want, homosexuals to starve? Like, what's the end result? That's not, that's not God. Why don't you influence them by talking to them? Why don't you influence them by sitting down and hearing their story? Why don't you influence the culture by engaging in it rather than running from it? and shouting as you're running, I'm right and you're wrong. And all they hear is this divisive religious talk. We need to come to a place where we understand what Lauren Cunningham said, that if we're gonna win the mountains, if we're gonna win the spheres of influence, if we're gonna win the cultural war, it's not going to be because we were right. It's going to be because we were influential. At some point, you need to be influential with people other than that go to this church, other people, the people that we see as other. I don't care if that's skin color. I don't care if that's an economic background. I don't care if that's maybe their religious preference or lifestyle preference. Whoever sits in that, 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 that bracket of other, eventually we have to have conversations with. Eventually we have to bring them in. You know why? Jesus died for them too. He died for you. But he died for them too. And by the way, when you already have your ticket to heaven, I am way less concerned about you as I am with them. Listen, if you ever understood one thing about the church, understand, I love you and I hope all of us come to heaven and shout in glory together. But once I know you're saved, my, 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 my intention is not to keep you saved. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. My intention is then to go see other people who've not heard this gospel and draw them in. And my intention is that you get that same fire and passion. If we're gonna win the world, if we're gonna influence culture, if there's something in culture you don't like, Man, fake news. Be the news. Why are you waiting for the news to report the news? Be the news. There's no there's one no standing in your way anymore. If you don't like the songs that are being sung, then write something better. Don't rally, don't, don't rail against culture as if somehow your shouting your rightness is going to change their mind. Learn to affect culture because of your influence, learn to affect culture because of your engagement. Many of you know, I, I like to, uh, and I got to wrap up here. Uh, many of you know, I like to go to Starbucks and man, I love, I love Starbucks coffee. If you hate it, that's awesome. If you don't like it because of their political beliefs, that's on you, that's cool. I love Starbucks coffee and I'm not gonna stop loving Starbucks coffee. So whatever. But there's a, there's a gentleman, uh, and a particular Starbucks that I frequent and, and he is definitely living a lifestyle that I would say, man, we probably need to work out of. And he's decided to take that to the next level. And he's starting adorning himself with, with different things. And, and I was standing there. We were having a conversation. And a, and a pastor walked by who I know and said, I can't believe you talked to him. I looked at him and said, I can't believe you don't. What are you talking about? This, uh, well, no, no, don't, don't clap for me because here's the problem I have with that. How many of us do the same thing? From time, And this is my, this is a this is, this is standing relationship I've built. And it doesn't mean I'm not judgmental on other issues. There are moments where I'm judgmental. I'm just as judgmental as anyone else. There are moments I judge too, but I've built a long-standing relationship. And if this kid decides to take his, his turn down this path of sexuality in a different route, I'm gonna I'm still gonna be in in, in conversation with him. I'm not gonna cut him off. But we need to come to a place that if we're gonna affect culture, if we're gonna if we're gonna take our mountain. If you're going to take this mandate from this sermon series seriously, if you're going to take your mountain, you're going to be involved in cultures that you don't like. You're going to be involved in cultures that are difficult. Listen, when smoking was a part of restaurants, I used, to, I used to kid with my mom, you need to sit in the smoking section from time to time. She hated it. Oh, man, made her cough and everything else. But it's the way that we affect culture. Find people who aren't like you, the others, and invite them into the conversation. And we will start to see a cultural revolution. Amen?